Let me pick up right where the story ended. It ended with the angel saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Yeah, goodwill toward men or peace, goodwill toward those on whom God's favor rests or God's good pleasure is what it literally means onto those people. So right after that happened, the shepherds who heard this story in the sky, these angels singing in the sky, it says that they hurried off into Bethlehem and when they got into Bethlehem, they found Mary and Joseph and Jesus lying in the manger just as the angel had said. And when they arrived, they started telling Mary and Joseph everything that they had heard. And as soon, <laughs> I know people like this, as soon as they were done talking, they left. I'm not even sure they know what they just said. They just recited what the angel said. You ain't gonna believe this, but he just says, unto us is born the Savior. Like, do you know people like that? They talk way better than they know. And then as soon as they're done talking, the conversation's over, they leave. And then the next verse says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Circle that. There are lots of different responses the night Jesus was born. There's Caesar Augustus is writing a decree. The angels are singing. The shepherds are witnessing. The people are amazed. Not Mary. Mary is treasuring things up and Mary is pondering them in her heart. The word literally means to treasure up, literally means to collect, to compile, to cluster things. And to ponder literally means to throw things together. So what Mary is doing is she is collecting things and then she's throwing things together. She's connecting things in her heart while the shepherds are off running around. One of my least favorite traditions in our house the last few years has been the assembling of a Christmas puzzle. Now, we've had this conversation, people. I've, I've done my therapy. I told you how I hate puzzles. I, I can never understand this. You want to see the picture, look at the box. And if you really want to solve problems, honey, I got some problems. I'll give you problems, real problems, not the one on the puzzle box. But, so I, I never understand it. But yesterday, in fact, my wife said, well, bring the card table because... I got a couple puzzles. I said, how big are they? She said, thousand piece. And when I looked at one, she said, this is a thousand piece puzzle from Thomas Kincaid. Sorry, Ron. I said, honey, you know that only old people like Thomas Kincaid. She said, I got it at Goodwill for a dollar. I said, I love Thomas Kincaid. So imagine this time that we put our puzzle together. We're going to sit Lori at the table because she is the only one who likes puzzles. And this year, it's going to be different. We're going to divvy up the pieces 
to different members of the family. So when Lori sits down, she does not have all the pieces. I'm not saying she has parts missing. I'm just saying <laughs> does not have the pieces. And the different members of the family each have clusters of pieces and they're connecting their own pieces and they love these little things when they come together, but they don't make sense of the whole. And Lori's trying to make sense of the whole, but she does not have all the pieces. And then members of the family do not all show up at the same time. They get there at different days. <laughs> so right when she thinks she's done with the puzzle, she finds out there's a whole bunch of pieces that she'd not connected yet. Now, every one of these pieces, as I say, they go together in a way that makes a little bit of sense, but they do not yet come together in a way that makes a lot of sense. This is kind of what Mary does when she clusters information, she moves them together, and then she tries to connect the pieces. Now, the words occur in the imperfect tense or in the present participle. So what this means is that this all didn't happen in one night. This meant that starting nine months ago, when different characters came into Mary's life, she was getting more pieces of the puzzle. And she'd collect them, and she'd try to sort them, and then she'd try to connect the pieces. So when Gabriel showed up nine months ago with his announcement, that was one set of pieces. And then after that, she went to Elizabeth's house, and Elizabeth was like a 65 70-year-old lady living in Colonial Oaks, and she was pregnant, and when Mary came walking through the door, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy, and she told Mary this, and those were more pieces. After that, she heard Joseph come back and say, I had a dream in the night, and this is what the angel said, and there were more pieces. And then she heard that Caesar Augustus had just given a decree that everybody had to go back to their hometown. And that meant that she had to go back to what was known as the city of David. And the lights went on and she started to collect the pieces. She's starting to put it together in her mind right now. Here in my body is one who is infinite and finite. in one person. Here is perfection with human infirmities in one person. Here is the eternal God with limitations in the same person. Here is spirit. Here is flesh together. Here is Revelation, here is response in the same person. This is what it means for the Father to love, and he is what it means to love the Father, all in the same person. Now about this time, the shepherds show up. And they have even more information. They're ecstatic. And they start telling Mary things that she did not know. They tell Mary that the baby that is inside of her does not belong to her. It belongs to the world. This is what they said. 
They said, this is good news of great joy for all people. Mary was not used to hearing this. She was not ready for this. She had formed conclusions in her mind about the way God worked, and none of these were fitting her conclusions. In fact, on the night that Mary heard from Gabriel the angel, what he said was that God would give this child the throne of his father, David. That's a Jew. And then he went on to say, and he will rule over the house of Jacob. That's Israel forever. So when Mary gives her Magnificat, she speaks in language slanted towards the Jews. She said, my soul rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of his servant, Israel and remembered to show mercy to, wait for it, Abraham's descendants, just like he said to our fathers. So while Mary's vision may have been bigger than she thought, it was still connected only to the religious people that she knew as Jews. And what she heard that night was that this child would not only come for the Jews, but that he would be good news for all people. <laughs> Now she's having problems because she starts thinking to herself, how in the world can this child be for us and for the world? How can he be given to us and to the world? How can he belong to us and at the same time belong to the world? Eight days later, she goes into the temple to dedicate the baby. An old man is there, Simeon. He looks across and sees Mary walk in holding the child. He doesn't ask. He just takes the child from her hands. Try that in the atrium. See how that goes for you. <laughs> After you take it, it don't matter what you say. But he just takes the child and holds the child up. And this is what he says. He says, God, you have done this in the sight of all the people. This is a light for the Gentiles. Who? Gentiles are irreligious. This is not their party. This is a Jewish day. And, says Simeon, this is glory for the Jews. All of a sudden, Mary takes the last piece of the puzzle and she turns it one way. And she thinks, maybe this child has come to us for the world. Maybe what the incarnation means is God is with us but he's in the world. And that changes everything. Mary mentioned Abraham's descendants. You remember Abraham? You remember Abraham? Here's Abraham in three simple steps. You can say, what we waste all? Never mind. Step one, the world 
is covered in darkness. It has no way of apprehending God. It does not even know who God is, let alone what God wants. And God's solution to a universal problem is a particular person. In this case, it's Abraham. Say that in slow motion. God's answer to a universal problem is not a universal solution. It's a particular person who lives himself immersed inside of the problem. It's not a man who lives alongside the problem, not a man who lives over the problem. It is a man who comes out of the problem himself. But it's a man. And he's connected to the problem. Step two, this individual turns out to be not only an individual, he becomes a people. Abraham is not just a man, he is a type of man, a type of person. They're called the children of Abraham, the seed of Abraham. And the seed of Abraham are children who believe what Abraham believes and they live like Abraham lives. And so they become like a social alternative to the world that has the problem. You tracking? As they live in the world that is broken, According to the ways of Abraham, they become a new alternative to the universal problem. They live as sons and daughters of God, but they still live in the problem. Step three. But the genius of Abraham is never what God does to him or in him. It's always what God does through him for the rest of the world. This is what God said. I will make you a great nation. That's step two. And then through you, I will bless all nations. That's step three. All of a sudden... Mary starts to make a connection between what is happening this night in Bethlehem and what happened a couple thousand years ago in Abraham's life. And it goes like this. All the world is covered in darkness. There is a universal problem. Men have no way of accessing God or even knowing what God wants. But God's solution to a universal problem is a particular person. In this case, it's a child that is born to you. It's not a universal solution. It's a particular person who will live himself immersed in the very world that he's coming to save. I'll say that one more time. This person will not live alongside the world. He will not live separate from the world. He will not live above the world. He will live himself immersed in the very problem that God is trying to reverse. Tom Torrance writes, the remarkable thing about Jesus is that when he comes and performs his miracles, he takes upon himself the cause of our diseases. 
Jesus never heals people from outside of the disease. He enters the disease and detonates life. He does not stand over top of the world and preach at it. He gets in the world and carries its sin, the worst of humanity, vicariously. But this Jesus is not just a person. He's a people. He's a tribe. He's a nation. He's a church. And these people believe not only in Jesus, they actually believe Jesus. And they actually believe what Jesus believes. And so as they live inside the problem, their lives become a social alternative to the problem. They live in ways that are peculiar and yet attractive to people who are stuck in the problem. But the beauty of these people is not simply what God is doing in them or to them. It's what God is doing through them for the rest of the world. So what does this mean? It means that, that Christmas is not a religious holiday for religious people. It is a secular event for the entire world. It's not for people who believe in Jesus. It's for all people, whether they believe in Jesus or not. But the people who believe in Jesus are the people that the person created. And we are living in the world in peculiar and distinctive ways. And as the world watches our lifestyle, immersed in the same problems, driving on the same bypass, <laughs> going to the same stores and going to the same hospital and attending the same schools as the world. Let me say it in slow motion. We are not separating ourselves from the world. We are immersing ourselves in the world so that what the world has, we get. All of it. We are not better than the problem. Amen. We are just not under the influence of it. We are under the influence of God. And we live inside the problem and we detonate life in places where we go. So the genius of the incarnation is living as the people of God inside of the world we are trying to save. Perfect, yet full of infirmities. This, you, are what the Father's love looks like when it is unleashed onto the world. And you are what the world looks like when it finally comprehends the love of the Father. 
you're as good as it gets. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm as good as it gets. (laughs) That didn't feel right, did it? Many, many years ago, there was a fellow named George Harley. He was a North Carolina boy. He's a Tar Heel. He went on to Duke University, and from Duke, he went to Yale, and from Yale, he went to the London School of Medicine, became a medical doctor. Decided in his late 20s, early 30s that he wanted to become a missionary. He went over to Liberia, started an interior mission, sort of like a medical center with the Ganta people. He wrote in his journal one day that on that day after his first year in the country, he'd seen 160 patients in one day. It was well known by the time Harley died, he was seeing in excess of 10,000 patients a year, treating them for their diseases. He decided to build a chapel so he could preach the gospel. (laughs) He built a small little wooden chapel and he'd go every Sunday so he, the doctor, could stand up and preach the gospel to the people of Liberia. Only nobody came. One day in his journal, Harley wrote, I'm discouraged because the people who want my medicine don't want my gospel. They want their bodies to be healed, but they don't care about their souls. One day he looked out his window and saw his five-year-old boy running through the field. Boy fell over, jumped back up and ran some more. Then he took a few more steps and he fell over again and this time he did not get up. Harley ran out of that little house into the field and in his words, in his journal, I picked up the fevered body of my five-year-old boy who was beginning to go into convulsions and I said to him, Bobby, you do not need to be afraid. Your daddy knows exactly what to do. I will heal this disease. He said he went home and he pulled out all of the stops to save that little boy until one night while the boy's fever continued to rage, it became clear to him that he was not going to win. On that night, Dr. Harley consigned the life of his five-year-old son into the hands of God and later that night, during the night, the five-year-old boy died. Harley said, I went down to the place where they collected the wood and I put together some rough form of a coffin. I placed the body of my five-year-old son in the coffin and I put that on my back and I started carrying it to an open field so I could bury it. Before he could get to the field, an old man from the village came out to him and said, what are you doing and what are you carrying that box? He said, this is the body of my five-year-old son. He's died. I couldn't save him, and I'm going to bury him. And he said, before I could stop him, the old man got on the other side of that coffin, and he helped me carry the coffin with my boy in it to a clearing where we took turns digging the grave and placing his body in it. As soon as the burial was over, 
Harley said, I could stand it no longer. I collapsed in a heap beside the grave. He said, I was 8,000 miles from home. I was a medical doctor with lots of success. And now, for the first time, I was utterly alone. And he said, while I wept, the old man just leaned closer and closer and looked at his face, just staring at him. He couldn't figure it out. In Harley's words, he looked at me for the longest time without saying a word, and then suddenly he stood up and started running back to the village and screaming at the top of his lungs, white man, white man, he cries just like we do. The next Sunday, I should say that night, Harley went back to his house, sat at the table with his wife. In his words, we secretly contemplated leaving the field and going home. And all of a sudden, there was a knock on the door, and when he opened it, there was the old man. And in his words, behind him was virtually every man, woman, and child in the entire village. When the following Sunday came, and Harley went to his little chapel to preach, he said the chapel was full. There were people standing outside looking through the window holes at the sermon with the new preacher. Same preacher, but this one was living incarnationally inside of the people he was trying to save. In Harley's words, that was the day I knew things had started to turn. Here's what I came to tell you. When God wanted to send a message into this world, he did not write an email. He didn't send a text. And he didn't send somebody else. He came. And when he came... He didn't come talking. He came living. He did not stand up and lecture on the value of motherhood. He nursed himself on his mother and raised the value of motherhood forever. He did not go into some didactic teaching about the importance of humility in children. He got down and let children crawl on his lap and changed the fortune of children forever. He did not lecture about letting women into discussion. He simply let them into his circles and first appeared to a woman after the resurrection and he changed the future of women forever. He did not lecture on the importance of friendship and the importance of empathy. He simply went to the funeral of a friend and he wept aloud. And from that day, people at funerals 
now have possibilities that they never had before. When Jesus came to save the world, he immersed himself into the very world that he came to save. He did not come talking in superlatives. He didn't lift something over our head. He didn't post something on Facebook so the world would know his opinions. He simply got in the world and then he got under the world and he let the weight of the world crush him. And in the strangest of ways, it's when he absorbed the problem. There was hope for a solution. We got enough talkers. We have enough opinions today. We need sufferers, not who stand alongside the world and advise it, but who get in the world and live with it. Turns out the incarnation happens because at that time, God did something that only God knew. If you want to change something, you have to enter the problem. You have to stay in the problem. You cannot be detached from it.